0: Welcome to The Local. It's Monday, October 12th, a great day to subscribe to The Local and tell a few friends. Today, back in the day, on the morning of October 12th, 1962, a massive storm hit the coast of northern California. The storm was originally named Typhoon Frida by meteorologists, but received the nickname The Big Blow. Oregon experienced the full force of the typhoon and suffered more damage than any other state. Severe winds toppled countless trees in western Oregon's forests and caused substantial damage to the thousands of buildings and miles of power lines. And today, back in the day, October 12, 1989, the U.S. House of Representatives approved a statutory federal ban on the destruction of the American flag. The so-called flag-burning amendment was created in response to protest burnings of the flag, became particularly popular during the Vietnam War. Over time, 48 of the 50 U.S. states enacted similar flag protection laws, but all of these statutes were overturned by the Supreme Court in a 5-4 to four vote in the case of Texas v. Johnson, saying that such a ban was an unconstitutional restriction of public expression. The court found that Johnson's actions fell in the category of expressive conduct and had distinctively political nature. The fact that an audience takes offense to certain ideas or expression the court found does not justify prohibitions of speech. The court also held the state officials do not have the authority to designate symbols to be used to communicate only limited sets of messages. And here's the quote. If there is a bedrock principle underlying the First Amendment, it is that the government may not prohibit the expression of an idea simply because the society finds the idea itself offensive or disagreeable. And I would go further. The freedom to criticize the government? That's sort of what the whole thing was about. Congress responded to the Johnson decision by passing a Flag Protection Act. And the Supreme Court overturned that as well by the same five to four majority in the United States versus Eichmann. We'll start with the Quick Six news headlines, and we have an interview with Alex Zelensky, news editor of the Portland Mercury, with an update on the Portland Mayor's race. X-ray. First up, it is time for today's Quick Six local rundown. It turns out the Portland NAACP does not endorse Wheeler for mayor, according to their president. Last week, it was reported that United for Oregon, the big new independent expenditure effort to try to protect Ted Wheeler, listed the NAACP as a supporter. Friday night, the president of the chapter, Reverend Edie Mondane, stated that neither he nor the NAACP will take any position in that mayor's race. That contradicts the website of United for Portland as well as the mayor himself. The NAACP website no longer displays any endorsement, but an archive version from last week shows a prominently featured endorsement from Mondane himself. Mandere says now that any support he has shown for Wheeler is as a private citizen should not indicate support from the NAACP. And according to Rise Up PDX, an accountability group made up of members of the NAACP, any endorsement made as the president of the NAACP chapter would violate its bylaws. Saturday night's protests were met with quick and broad arrests. Saturday night marked the 123rd day of protests against racism and police brutality in Portland since the death of George Floyd in May. Protesters gathered in North Portland, supposedly planning on ending up at the North Precinct, which has been the site of clashes between demonstrators and police for some time. Sergeant Kevin Allen, a spokesperson of the police bureau, said the crowd's posture, including their armored attire, strongly suggested they would engage in direct action against the precinct. Protesters blocked MLK Boulevard south of Killingsworth. Police told them to move out of the road several times, then proceeded to rush the crowd from multiple directions. Police did not declare an unlawful gathering before making many arrests. The police bureau has remained vague about what prompted those arrests. The arrests started 30 minutes after the demonstration began around 10 p.m. 26 people were arrested out of a total turnout of around 40. Sergeant Allen said about the arrests, Intentionally blocking vehicular traffic is a crime. And we notified everyone there they were subject to arrest. Meanwhile, Patriot Prayer members have stolen the elk statue put up by protesters in downtown Portland. In July, the 120-year-old real elk statue and fountain were removed by authorities after protesters had damaged the base. After that, Black Lives Matter protesters replaced it with their own metal statue, which had stayed in place until Friday morning. On Saturday, members of the far-right group Patriot Prayer took to social media to take credit for the statue's disappearance. The Patriot Prayer Twitter account shared the image of a statue strapped to the back of a truck and said, Antifa's evil deer in Portland is no longer evil. It has been red-pilled, will no longer fight to oppress the people, will now be a freedom fighter. He is registered to vote and will now be voting for Trump. According to Black Lives Matter activists, the new statue had become a memorial for victims of police brutality. They also said the old statue was never meant to be a target of vandalism. Instead, the fires set in July were intended to make it sort of a shrine. Your daily dose of coronavirus data. As of Sunday, the Health Authority reported 337 new cases, zero deaths, thankfully. We're now at 599 total deaths confirmed. And the Oregon Health Authority has announced a change in how it reports COVID recoveries. The OHA announced on Friday it would temporarily stop reporting recoveries until a new plan is put in place. Since May 1st, the OHA has considered a patient recovered following the 60-day rule, meaning anyone who's still alive 60 days after their first positive test. The plan was to put in place to save resources. Prior to the 60-day rule, the OHA would call individuals who had tested positive to track their symptoms. As case numbers grew, this became less feasible. The problem with the 60-day rule is it doesn't account for those who experience chronic issues or prolonged illnesses from COVID. Now, the count of recovered cases after May 1st won't be reported on the website. There's no deadline for when the new standard for measuring recovered cases will be put into practice, but OHA says it is working on a new metric. Some good news, the first week of October saw the lowest new unemployment claims since before the pandemic. In the beginning of October, fewer than 4,000 new jobless claims were filed. Oregon is seeing a better-than-expected recovery. Federal aid and the recovery of major industries like healthcare, electronics manufacturing, and athletic apparel have helped put Oregon back on track. The state's August unemployment rate, 7.7%, was below the national average. The September figures will be released this week. That said, the rate of people who remain out of work is still high, 145,000 continued jobless claims were filed at the end of September, that's 8% higher than any week during the Great Depression. So to be clear, still a lot of people unemployed, still a lot of people filing jobless claims, but fewer people, and that's good. Experts are still concerned about other Oregon industries, such as hospitality, especially in Portland and on the coasts. Over $5 billion in unemployment benefits have been paid out since the beginning of the pandemic, but many have had to wait weeks or months to get a check. Now, 49,000 workers are still waiting for relief, stuck in a bureaucratic process that the Oregon Employment Department says could take months to complete. I said good news. I know once I start talking about the Oregon Employment Department, it doesn't always end as good news. But it is a little bit good news that not as many people are losing their jobs. Some more good news having nothing to do with the employment department. The Trailblazers held an event encouraging people to vote. Outside the Moda Center on Friday morning, thousands of people showed up for a socially distant event promoting voting. Rip City Votes pickup was hosted by the Trailblazers, Multnomah County, and the health department. At the event, fans waited in their cars as staff passed out voting kits, including information on voting as well as exclusive merchandise. I have a Trailblazers vote sign in my front yard right now. Flyers featured information on voting as well as COVID ensuring that people could vote safely and responsibly. About 3,000 people came in total. And that is today's Quick 6 Local Rundown. X-Ray.
1: Jefferson Smith speaks with Alex Zelensky, news editor of the Portland Mercury. Alex brings an update on the Portland mayor's race, campaign tactics, questions left to be answered, and what matters in the remainder of this election.
0: Alex, how you doing?
1: I'm doing well. How are you?
0: Hoo-wee. No Van Halen, but it's fun to listen to some. Uh and <laughs> yeah. uh, and I I don't know if you're a Van Halen fan, but it's, you know, you know you're a good guitarist when the band is named after you, right? Like, you know, it was it, Guns N' Roses wasn't called Slash, right? You know you're a good guitarist when the band is named after you.
1: <laughs> what? Yeah, I've been I feel like whenever um especially musicians like Van Halen pass away that I haven't listened to for a long time. Uh, I go through this like rabbit hole of remembering um, exactly who this person was and kind of revisiting all of his music. So it's been
0: fun. No, exactly. I think there's a lot, I think a lot of people like that because there's a, a weird arc that happens, right? You start out and it's like because uh, Van Halen was my was sort of my generation, er, you know, my when I was very young. So I was too young to like go to a Van Halen concert, but. You know I wasn't too young to have lots of friends with Van Halen t-shirts. It was usually their older brothers that had Van Halen t-shirts and, uh, and yeah. they picked on us and then like listened to Van Halen. And so i I, I linked it to sort of, verbal oppression. You know, it was usually some some brother who lived out in the garage and then, you know, wore a Def Leppard or a Van Halen t-shirt and then, like, turned us upside down until we cried. But anyway, uh, but I then, and then they become so popular. Now it's so, all coming back. It all, yeah, it's a therapy session, Alex. What I really want to talk about Great. was my childhood. Let's talk about protests and what's happening in the mayor's race. We know that there's a poll out that shows the mayor 11 points down. We know that now there's an independent expenditure campaign for a bunch of the big establishment political groups, the the restaurant association the portland business alliance SEIU uh, have come together to fund uh, a campaign to try to prop up the mayor uh, what are you watching in the mayor's race
1: yeah it's interesting i've um from my position you know we have people from campaigns reaching out to us almost every day now to to make sure we're we're watching the things we should be watching and paying attention to the to right things and uh what we've heard a lot of from the mayor's race, uh, from uh, Ted Wheeler's race for re-election, um, and from people associated with him is, is interestingly a lot of um, a lot of pointing to kind of the writing campaign for Teresa Rayford, which I think w- that at the same time, so I guess the purpose of that is to show, um, hey, maybe this Sarah Ann character isn't all she's cracked up to be uh there's a lot of attention coming from uh kind of this uh the the writing campaign for tracer rayford i think there's a movement right now to kind of split the vote um whether that's coming from directly from the wheeler campaign or elsewhere and at the same time throwing money towards like you mentioned this group of um kind of business uh well a small pack, I guess you could say, of business groups and uh and for at least one union and the NAACP coming out to to really attack Sarah Anarone in in ads and in their um kind of new uh publicity coming out against her. Um it's interesting in that we're all just seeing kind of negative um you know offloads right now. We're not really seeing a ton of uh, energy putting putting toward or being put towards uh, elevating what Ted Wheeler wants to do in office. You know what he's achieved, kind of where he's going from now, like what's next. Um, I think in understanding what the mayor's race is right now and kind of how much time we have left to understand what's at stake. I I think that the public is still really hungry to understand what this man stands for and yeah. why he wants to continue being in office mm-hmm. um, but I, I think that the fact that they're going after pretty strong after his opponent right now shows that they're um, possibly a little concerned <laughs> I don't know if the, no. uh, the no, new no, data that came out you know no, no, they're, they're, they're not that
0: there's yeah it's a, not possibly a little uh, concerned you know, they're big time concerned like they're, yeah. they, they're <laughs> if, you have a, if you have an incumbent mayor who comes in a poll with 30% that's a mayor that's about to lose. To be clear, people yeah. are saying Donald Trump's about to lose. This is, a, this is a president who's been polling in the 40s, not at 30%. And you don't poll 30% when you're the sitting mayor and the former treasurer because you lack name recognition. People have right. an idea of who you are. They might not have an idea of what you would do and why you would do it. There might be questions right. still to answer, but it isn't lack of familiarity.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's. Uh, I think that's the problem. I think it is familiarity that is, is hurting him
0: right now familiarity is breeding contempt so one of the questions and and it's a question might be a question for listeners i guess is does the independent expenditure campaign backfire and this move if you're trying and think and the trump and the Trump campaign is an interesting parallel, right, because they recognize, heck, even in 2016, they recognized this guy was never going to get a majority of voters in the United States. And therefore, they had to try to pull some off, push some people to a Green Party candidate, get people and get people just to really hate Hillary Clinton, tap into deep right. seated cultural misogyny in order to get uh, that to happen. And now Tressa Rayford has a bigger uh, has sort of a bigger cause celeb than any Green Party candidate has had. Uh, and so you're saying that you, what you've been hearing and you're reporting and in some of the murmurs that are coming your way is that there's some people pushing the Rayford campaign that aren't just close allies of Tressa Rayford.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I would say it's people who are pretty close in the Wheeler campaign itself uh, that are, you know, letting us know, hey, by the way, you know, um, uh, Sarah Anarone says she has the support of XYZ, but we think that, uh, that we saw that maybe they're, they're supporting actually the Teresa Rayford campaign when none of that has to do with the Wheeler
0: campaign. Um, so, you, oh, so you're but, getting calls. You know, okay, so I want to make sure I get this. Work. You're getting calls from people who are sort of in the Ted Wheeler circle saying like, giving pro-Teresa Rayford anti Sarah facts. Right. Oh, thank you. I'm a little slow on the, slow on the uptake
1: no it's fine yeah that's what i'm hearing and um and it's it's pretty you know it's uh pretty clear what the motive is there but it also is a little discouraging to not be just talking about the person that they're <laughs> that they're advocating for you know this is um that's the the meat and potatoes of a race it's about what your candidate is not what who Uh, they aren't and 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 who could be you know what third party candidate could be supporting their and helping their race um
0: and your big question still your big question still is why does this dude want a second term
1: i think i know why but i don't think it's convincing enough for the public i think it's i think it's still at least from the from the outside it looks really like a um just a personal kind of achievement and a career move more than a like deep passion for the work, um, which, you know, it's hard to reflect that in um, especially, you know, some have said Ted Wheeler's an introvert, which I completely uh, can uh, be empathetic with. <laughs> and it's hard to always be putting your heart in your sleeve and really explaining what, uh, why you're doing it, where where it's coming from, but at this moment in time, especially when Portland has been, you know, made this, um, it has been a caricature, both of the national and, and, and local kind of conversations about what it stands for or what it is and what's even going on here. Um, I think, I, I think it, it's just, it's hard to see, hard to understand kind of what would, what continues to drive him to want to fight for this community. And, um, other than, you know, uh, moving, moving forward moving up.
0: Nick Fish said before he died, I don't remember if he said that to me on the phone or if he said it on air. I think he said it on air. I know I asked the mayor about it on air was Nick said, Nick said that the city is lacking a central narrative, lacking a mm-hmm. shared conception of itself. And, mm-hmm. uh, and Ted, and Ted, we, Ted disagreed with that. He said, I think we know who we are. And, Uh, But I thought but Nick was a TED supporter. He wasn't saying that not that to knock the mayor. I I thought that was a really important insight that we need a shared understanding. We don't just want Donald Trump defining who our city is, nor do we want just protesters defining who our city is. We want some degree of leadership, some degree of consensus, some degree of community shared understanding of what our city stands for and what our central and shared story is. I thought that was insightful what right, I think po-
1: that's a great point. I think we are we are at the moment more reactionary with our narrative, with defining who we are, than um, than setting uh, kind of setting the table for others to understand who we are. And that does sound uh, incredibly Nick Fish-like.
0: <laughs> Fish-like is uh, rest in peace, Nick Fish. So the what are the questions you still have, or do you think that still matter? for Sarah Anarone and for the mayor. Clearly, a lot of this is, as you said, just going to be based on who does the more negative. Can Teresa Rayford's campaign uh, pull enough votes of sort of anti-Wheeler folks? Can there be enough calling into question of Anarone as a candidate? Can Mayor Wheeler be propped up a little bit with the independent expenditure campaign to get him across? It may just be sort of that kind of politics that decides it, but are there any questions... Uh, maybe even on the substance that you think are going to come up in the next 25 days are going to matter?
1: I think, I think what matters right now and, and clearly what this independent um, expenditure campaign that you mentioned is focusing in on is kind of the margins of, focusing on the margins of people who already, like kind of on the border of, of the group that already supports and will continue to support Ted Wheeler no matter what, which is, um, you know, people uncomfortable with how far left Sarah Annerone is people kind of unhappy with the status quo, but they feel like they have this guy in charge who um, has experience as a treasurer, knows money, knows how to, you know, has survived this far during the craziest year, um, we've had in generations and, uh, and can trust him, um, believe they can trust him. And so I, I think it'll be interesting to see what, um, how the Wheeler campaign and its supporters really tailors its narrative to attract those who are uh, definitely not the folks who are all in for Sarah Anirone. Um Maybe those who, I mean, I, I, no, I, I don't think they'd be going for the Teresa Rae at all, but those who are kind of on the border between maybe even like not voting and voting for Ted or um or just kind of yeah complacent with what's happening locally and feel like it's out of their hands. Uh, I think that's where a lot of um there are a lot of people who supported Ted Wheeler probably earlier on that have seen have been unhappy with the way that he has responded to protests um because of uh not you know, cracking down on protests as hard as they would have liked, not, you know, cleaning up downtown as quickly as they would have liked, kind of that, that group of folks who are unhappy but, aren't, um, elated with the idea of Sarah Annor as mayor. I think, um, it's going to be an interesting dance to see how the Wheeler campaign can rope those folks in at the last minute.
0: Before we go, on protests, what. Mm-hmm. Uh, how are you focusing your attention now on protests? It now feels like it's just part of Portland life. Is a crew of people go and protest ICE, or go try to get the police to call them an unruly disturbance, and that's just kind of a thing that happens. It's our new nightlife scene. <laughs> exactly, and I don't know, but I, I, I but I don't want to. I don't want to get callous. What are you paying right. attention to?
1: Um, right now, I mean, I'm looking at, it's been long enough since the beginning of these protests that there's actually good, we're finally getting some good information and data in an analysis on what went on earlier on in these protests and able to take a snapshot as to, um, you know, uh, not just night after night anecdotes of, you know, um, problematic treatment of protesters and, and, uh maybe limitations to public safety and human rights. Uh, there's now reports that have been put out and, and data being collected both locally and nationally. Um, and we're finally hearing back, hopefully soon, from the police bureau with some reports on kind of their use of force during these protests. And so I think using that information will be really helpful in understanding and talking about the current uh, smaller, but still like sustained uh, protests going forward um, today. I, I, a report came out from the Petitions for Human Rights, which is this organization that investigates um, the health consequences of, of human rights violations, um, and it usually, you know, investigates things that are happening internationally, uh, like protests in, in Turkey and, uh, you know, the murder of Rohingya people in Myanmar. Um, but they decided to focus their lens on Portland and investigate Portland protests. Um, Uh, This summer, and it was the first time they had ever really focused on a U.S. city and U.S. citizens and and human rights, potential human rights violations against um, U.S. citizens. And the report kind of points out how the not only uh, did did law enforcement agencies here obviously put people in. Um, injured, but people in in uh, unsafe conditions where they were injured by munitions shot by by law enforcement, um, which is you know concerning to public health. But they also limited access uh, to medical care for these people who were injured um, during the protests. At least in the first two months of the, in June and July, uh, Portland police blocked off an area in downtown from allowing. Uh, barred ambulances from coming in and so you have all of these anecdotes coming out now people who had to be had to carry folks who had serious head injuries blocks and blocks to ambulances to get them out of there um, or you know have these medics on the scene that are volunteers that have experience who are the only ones there who can really help people because uh, law enforcement's embedded medics uh, with the Portland Fire and Rescue their job explicitly was not to help the protesters it was to look out for the Portland police and, and help with their injuries and so from a public health perspective um, I think it's really interesting to talk about the lack of care that when law enforcement knowingly shoot things at people that could definitely injure them there is no awareness of of their health past that point and their um, medical stability past that point point. and so that's kind of just one of many I think interesting narratives that will come out of and, and kind of research angles that will come out of what has been happening in Portland over the past few months and will help us talk about what's what's happening right now and, and in the future. I'm sure after the elections, we're going to continue to see uh, folks on the streets. So, this is you know, just a, a momentary um, pause in the way of uh, you know, thinking about protests right now.
0: Well, I want to say, Alex Linsky, thank you so much for spending the time with us, and we will do it again very soon.
1: Thank you for having me on.
0: Thanks to Alex for joining The Local, and thank you for listening to The Local, your hometown, in about 30 minutes. Thanks for subscribing and giving a five-star review, and thank you, Democracy. Talk to you tomorrow.